My name is Andrea Smith. We want to send a warm welcome to you this morning. I am the pastor here at West United Methodist Church, and we are glad that you are worshiping with us online this morning as well. It's a big day in the life of our church today. We have 11 young men and women that are going to be professing their faith in Jesus Christ in just a little while, and they're going to be joining the church. And so it's a big deal. The message this morning in the season of Thanksgiving is geared towards them. There are three Three things that I want you to remember by the end of the message, and yes, there is a test, but I promise it'll be easy. It's three things that I think we can all remember. If you're here this morning, you're a part of a, a movement. We're trying not to be an institution, but rather a group of people that are trying to basically do what you just heard. We're trying to change the world. We're trying to make the world a better place. We believe that we do that by being a community together, whether it's here in person, or we have many people that are a part of our digital community online that participate in the missions and the ministries of West uh, via via mail, email, uh, groups of mission projects that they do in their own areas. So our touch in the world, I believe, is actually pretty big. But there's something that drives that touch. There's something that makes us do what we do and confirmands. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The three simple rules. And the guy that introduced those rules is named John Wesley. We're a United Methodist church. And so we follow in the ways of Jesus and a guy named John Wesley and his brother Charles, they, they gave us this denomination called Methodism. And West is a part of that denomination. You have Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians and Catholics and all these other denominations. We are a part of that. And so this morning... The message is geared to what drives us, what makes us do what we do. But I have a confession to make to you, Confirmands, and to the greater church. Uh, I've been in ministry 21 years now. And I started being a part of confirmation classes like uh, 17 years ago. I went on my very first confirmation retreat with a senior pastor. And he had these intensive confirmation classes. They lasted two to three hours a time. They went on for seven months. And then we had a four-day retreat in which we memorized the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, different passages of Scripture, etc. And so... Because sometimes in confirmation class, y'all would look pained if I talked too much. Uh, I decided not to make you do that. And so we had a lot of dialogue. And because, you know, I don't think, and that's why we keep the lights off when I preach on Sunday morning. So I can't tell if you all are pained or not. But when y'all were sitting there in confirmation doing this, I just felt like we needed to change things a little. And so I struggled with what should you all know when you stand up and profess your faith? And the bottom line was pretty simple. I wanted you to know about Jesus. I wanted you to know that this, the Bible, is a great and beautiful and powerful tool, but it can be misused. And that's one of the things that you all told me concerned you. And I wanted you to know what it means to be a part of this, of a faith community or a church. Now, I asked you 
what did you want to learn? And that was probably one of my first mistakes that ended, keeping, ended up keeping me up all night a couple of times because you asked really, really hard questions. So congregation, I want you to know what they asked. Like, um, can you explain the virgin birth to me? What is heaven? What is hell? What about my friends who are Hindu? Are they gonna go to hell? What happens when we die? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And why do I have to come to church? Why can't I just be a part of a faith community or a spiritual movement and not have to sit here every Sunday? They asked really, really good questions. Try explaining the virgin birth to a group of 45 to 50-year-olds, much less 15 and 13-year-olds. And so I decided that we would take a step back. And instead of making you memorize the Apostles' Creed and all the rules and stuff, that I just wanted you to walk away with three things and one big idea. Now, Knowing that that might upset like the, the United Methodist apple cart, that's an old person's term, by the way, uh, I decided that I would use the teachings of John Wesley, and there's three things that I want you to walk away with today. There are three simple rules that Wesley taught, and I believe if we would all adhere by these simple rules, then life would actually be a lot better. So when you profess your faith in a little while, you are promising that you want to walk in the ways that lead to life and love as revealed to us by the person of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to vow to do these three things. So everybody, these are the three things that I want us all to walk away, maybe memorizing this morning. And confirmands, when I finish this little sermon, I'm going to ask you to say these three things back to me. The first is to do no harm. That was one of John Wesley's tenets that he believed in. It was to, to do no harm. Pretty simple, right? Will y'all say that with me? Do no harm. I'll do one more time. Ready? Do no harm. All right, good. Pretty easy, right? Except sometimes we do harm. We harm other people. And how do we do that? We do it with our words. We do it with our actions. And this is probably one of the, the biggest problems that we have. And, and our computers, you see, we hide behind this. We say things, we do things on social media or Snapchat or Instagram or any of those things or emails if you're uh, old like me. And we say things and we hide behind these and they actually cause harm. Now, cell phones don't have to be bad. Technology does not have to be bad. But this morning, if you are saying that you're willing to walk in a way that leads to life and walk in the way of Jesus, we're saying that we don't want to do harm. And so sometimes we have to, we have to stop and, and ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? Would you be willing to say what you said in that text to your friend that is conveying some hidden anger and animosity? Would you be willing to say that to their face? And then that's another thing I would want you to do as you try to do no harm, like Spend time with each other, like face-to-face. -face. Actually talk to each other instead of doing everything on a cell phone. I promise you'll have a much better and happier life. The second thing after Wesley said do no harm is pretty easy as well. Do good. Do no harm, 
and do good. So will you say that with me? Do good. So say the first two simple rules of Wesley. Ready? Do no harm. Do good. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? You, you try to be nice to people. You try to do things for other people. The last of the three simple rules is to stay in love with God. Now, that's where your questions to me got pretty pointed. You asked me about people of other faiths. And I shared with you that, you know, John Wesley, the founding father of Methodism, had this saying that we should think and we should also let others think. If you are friends with any United Methodist pastors during the election season, that was one of the memes and pictures that people were putting up over and over again. John Wesley's think and let others think. Recognizing that we're, we're on two different sides, but that doesn't mean we have to be mean to each other and say hurtful things to each other. And we have a new president now. And we should all unite together to follow that the leadership of that one president, whether we like that person or not, right? Do good, do no harm. And the last thing is stay in love with God. You ask me what God is. I don't have an easy answer to that other than you can define God as love. We talked about that God's not an old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne far, far away, and that's what heaven is. And hell is a place with red, fiery flames down below, and you either go to one of those or the other. And, and we looked at those passages in the New Testament that talks about heaven and hell and what that actually means in a state of consciousness, and that we believe that we return to one with God when we die. You ask me, what do I do with this when? science oops science and religion do not match you told me that you thought this stuff didn't make any sense because you were taught to believe one thing about creation and that it was all in six days and then on the seventh day God rested and you know this might be about 4,000 5,000 years old and that this was supposed to be doctrine and truth and how could this be doctrine and truth if science teaches something very very different and I hope you will always remember, always, that the two are not in a battle against each other. That this is a picture of a group of people, people created by the divine, that were trying very hard to walk in a way that led to life and led to love. We have a story of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament and their, their quest to follow God because they started out believing in a bunch of different gods and then after the time of Abraham and Moses and, and all those gentlemen, we got a picture of one God. So because you asked me really hard questions and because I decided that I wouldn't make you memorize the Apostles' Creed and, and all those other things and rules, I sort of felt like a failure at teaching you confirmation. Because, you know, tradition says that you all should know this much. But I also know that the very first confirmation class that I had with a senior pastor many years ago, I actually looked them up on Facebook. There were about 15 in that first class. Of those 15, one is still a part of a church. One still believes in God. That's a problem in our, in our nation right now, in our culture. I don't know if you know about that or not, but it's called the nuns and the duns. 
you know, we have children, we want them to grow up in a community of faith, and so we bring them to church. They go to either Sunday school, if they're in a traditional church, or if you're a part of a community like West, and there are others out there, they go to some, we hope, really cool and hip children's ministry, like Sparked or Wired, and they learn the stories of their faith. But then there's a disconnect from when they learn those stories and when they get to the age of these young men and women here. They're never taught that it's okay to ask questions. And they're never taught that it's okay to not believe everything literally in here. And so they walk away. They walk away from Jesus and the teachings of Christ and they walk away from the local church and one of the things that you know, pains me is you walk away from God. Some of my friends that have kids my age, my two kids are in college, they come to me and they say, you know, my kids tell me they don't, they don't believe in God anymore. They don't wanna be a part of church. What am I going to do? The answer to that question is the words of John Wesley, think and let them think. Because I do believe that in time, because I've seen it happen, in time, if, if young adults are given the room to explore what they actually believe for themselves, and if they're given a way that they can understand that science and religion do not have to battle one another, that they actually can both exist, that they'll come to a place where they can recognize that there is a God and God reveals God's self to us through the person of Jesus. And believe it or not, in the United Methodist tradition, we honor and respect other world religions. So when you guys asked me, was it okay to have friends that were Muslim or Islamic and Hindu? The answer was yes. And that is not necessarily what we've been taught if you're older than the age of 15 or 16. I grew up with this scripture verse being beat over my head. You know, you must be with people that are equally yoked. That's a verse in the New Testament that makes no sense. What does being equally yoked meant? Well, you were supposed to hang around people like you. I would challenge us that if we don't know people that are not a part of a faith community now, if we don't expose ourselves to people that are different than us, then I think we're the ones that are being closed-minded. Look at who Jesus hung out with. He certainly did not hang out with the people that were just like him. So confirmands, I wanted to impress you with one thing this morning other than the three simple rules, which are, say them with me again, please. Do no harm, do good, Stay in love with God. There is this thing, I want you to be wowed, okay? So even if you're not, please act like you are. It's called the perennial tradition. That does not mean adults that were growing perennial plants. It's this thing that's been around for many, many, many years. It was approved by the Catholic Church, the Second Vatican Council, it's also been approved by the Franciscan Orthodoxy. It's also been approved by the Judeo-Christian, which is what we are here as United Methodists, the Judeo-Christian way of believing. 
And I didn't know that this thing existed actually until very recently as I was trying to search for answers to your questions. This thing called the perennial tradition, I don't know why we don't study this in church history, I sort of missed out on it. It means that all those groups of people that I just told you about, the Roman Catholics and the Franciscan, the Eastern religions and the Western religions, all of those, and the Hindus and the Muslims and the Indian religions, the Native American Indian religions, they all recognize that we believe one thing in common. Now, we recognize that once you move away from that one thing, yes, we disagree on a lot of other things. But in this perennial tradition, we all acknowledge that there is one thing that holds us all together. And that's what I want you to remember today. That thing is that there is a divine deity, a divine power, a divine something that is bigger than we are called God. And that God is love. And then if you study the perennial tradition and as it, it weaves its way into each individual religion, this, this document that was adopted by all the churches, the universal church, says that these individual religions each reflect a ray, like a sunshine ray, a ray of believing in the one divine. So basically in our human language, what I'm telling you is there's a document that was agreed on, and we all know how hard that is to get a bunch of adults to agree on one thing, by all these churches all over the world, that there is a God. That the God, the, de the deity, the divine is love, and that through their individual worshiping traditions, that love was revealed to them. I struggled with what scripture passage to read to you this morning. I was going to read you a story out of the Old Testament and talk about the, the paradox of the story because in the Old Testament, Moses is telling these soldiers to go kill all these people in this land that they were already inhabiting so that the Israelites could take over this land. Um, and I thought, well, there is one of the reasons that you all told me you struggled with the Bible. How would God, a God of love, tell people to go kill people? Well, that's, that's how they did things back then, thousands and thousands of years ago. Armies conquered armies. Leaders conquered leaders. I was going to read you this passage about how this one group of, of young men were brave and how maybe you will be brave and recognize that being a part of a spirituality, of a religion, can be more than anything you've ever thought it could be. And it doesn't have to be so rigid that it fits inside this narrow perspective that leaves everyone else out. That was not what was ever intended by Jesus. And today, in our tradition, that's who we honor and that's who we worship. Because we believe that he did show us the way. I've told you this story before. If you've heard it before, just bear with me. But, you know, a few, 
A few years ago, I had a privilege of sitting down with a young man who was 18 and who was struggling with his faith. He'd grown up in church. He said, I don't want to have anything else to do with this. I think it is inconsistent. The Bible makes no sense. It says that having slaves are okay. It says that women are second-rate citizens. And it says, thou shalt not murder, but then you have God going and telling everybody to go murder people. I don't understand this. This is hypocritical and inconsistent, and I don't want to have anything to do with God, Jesus, church, or religion. And I said, well, I certainly understand all those things you just said. But let me ask you this. What's your beef with Jesus? And they laughed because I don't normally say that, you know, phrase, what's your beef with Jesus? And I said, no, I'm not not being funny. What's your problem with Jesus? And Now remember, this young man grew up in church, so he's been taught all the Jesus stories. And he's like, you know, I don't, yes, I have a problem with Jesus. I said, okay then. Let all the rest go. That's what the whole point of having a West faith community is about. We try really, really hard not to be so focused on all the rules and all the dogma that keeps people that are not like us out. Hopefully, we're a faith community that welcomes people that don't look like us and act like us in. Jesus, that's how he lived. There was this, and this is the scripture verse that I decided to leave you with. It's a couple of times in the New Testament and also in the Old Testament. There was this young ruler and he was asking Jesus, okay, so um, of all these laws, 635 or whatever laws in the Old Testament, which are the most important? And Jesus said there are two. And John Wesley reflected these two in the three simple rules. Jesus said, and this is what you're agreeing to today. To love God and remember God is love. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then love each other. That's it. Years ago, I had a senior pastor who was much more versed in theology than I am. If you were a part of Williamson's Chapel and headed west, the odds are, if you were there a long time ago, you worshiped under the senior pastor. Before he would do a wedding for a young couple, he would require the young couple to come and meet with him. And they would meet three different times for pre-marriage counseling. So that's how I learned how to do pre-marriage counseling. He let me sit in on one of his sessions and watch how he did it. One of the couples that came to him, the, the first question he asked every couple is, number one, are you pregnant? And after they would answer that question, the second question would be, why do you want to get married in a church? The reason, if you care, why we ask if you're pregnant is you should never just get married because you're going to have a baby. If you didn't want that information, you can just let it go. <laughs> the second thing was, why do you... Why do you want to get married in a church? This couple that were being counseled by him, she had this reason because her faith was so important to her. And, you know, she wanted to be married in the church. She'd grown up in the church, all this kind of stuff. The fiance did not have an answer. His answer was, well, because she wants to. 
And apparently with this senior pastor, that was not an acceptable answer. He wanted both people to be professing Christians to get married in the church. So this pre-marriage counseling session went much longer than three. It went like five or six because we ended up talking about faith. The young man that had the questions about church and the animosity toward religion, he said, you know, it doesn't hold true, science and scripture. All the things confirmands that you said to me, he said to my senior pastor. And I heard this man who's much more versed in theology than I am explain it this way. And so people of West that are worshiping with us this morning and online, hear this explanation of faith. He said, you know, I know we were sitting in his office, which was in the parsonage, the old parsonage at Williamson's Chapel. It was a house. And his office was the back bedroom, the master bedroom. He said, you know, when I came into the office this evening, I came in through a door, I walked down the hallway, and I walked into my office and I, I sat down. And now you're here and we're having this conversation. But... When I leave, the odds are I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back out the same way that I came in. But you know what? There might be other doors. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, do you see other doors that are here? And do those doors look like they may lead to outside? He said, there's a door right there. And he pointed to the corner and that was a closet there was another door, and it was a door to a bathroom, but guess what? In that bathroom, there's a window, and he pointed out that if you were really desperate, you could go into the bathroom, raise the window, crawl out of the window, and he said, you know, there are other doors here, but I don't know what they lead to, and I don't really want to take that chance. I know how to get out of this building, and that's a lot like faith. I know the way of Jesus. He said, love God and love each other. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Hindu. I don't worship the Islamic tradition. I don't know those ways. I'm not going to tell you that the people that know those ways are absolutely wrong and they don't understand God in a different way that I do. That was a big deal for me to hear this man who was so learned in theology and tradition to say that because I grew up believing that everybody else was absolutely wrong and we were the only people that were right. But he landed on this and this is where we land today. I believe in the ways of Jesus. He taught us to love God and love one another. Now to bring a little levity to the morning, I want to show you a clip from the movie Babe. I think if we walk away this morning learning the lesson that the sheep tries to teach the pig, look, I know I've bored them to tears. I had to do something to bring it, you know, to some funny level. If we'll, if we'll learn this lesson, I think we'll look a lot like Jesus. Take a look. Get him up, pig. He wants you to drive them out of the yard. Away to me, pig. Remember, you have to dominate them. Do that and they'll do anything you want. Go, go. Woof! Woof, woof, woof! Woof! Woof, 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 woof! 
This is ridiculous, Mom. Nonsense. It's only your first try. But you're treating them like equals. They're sheep. They're inferior. Oh, no, they're not. Of course they are. We are their masters, babe. Let them doubt it for a second, and they'll walk all over you. Play! Get that pig out of there! Make them feel inferior. Abuse them. Insult them. Play! They'll laugh at me. Then bite them. Be ruthless. Whatever it takes, bend them to your will. Enough! Go on. Go. What's got into you all of a sudden? I just got finished telling what a nice young pig you be. Ma, I was just trying to be a sheepdog. Huh, enough wolves in the world already. Without a nice lad like you turning nasty, you haven't got it in you, young'un. You and I are descended from the great sheepdogs. We carry the bloodline of the ancient Bahu. We stand for something. And today I watched in shame as all that was betrayed. Rex, dear, he's just a little pig. All the greater the insult. I'm sorry I bit you. Are you all right? Well, I wouldn't call that a bite myself. You got teeth in that floppy mouth of yours are just gum. Ah! <laughs> you see, ladies, a heart of gold. No need for all this wolf nonsense, young'un. All a nice little pig like you need do is ask. How did the pig get the sheep to do what he needed them to do? By being nice. Do no harm. Do good. And stay in love with God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, these young men and women are willing to say that they want to walk in a way that leads to life and leads to love. And that they want to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ recognizing that that means that they can ask questions and struggle with their faith as they grow, but also acknowledging that there is something bigger than we are that holds this world together, holds this universe together, and that is the way of love as revealed to us through Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you're worshiping with us for the first time this morning, we extend a very special welcome to you. If you're new to West, we invite you to visit our First Impressions tent, our VIP guest tent, and let us know that you are new to West. And now in the season of Thanksgiving, may we all go and know that God's love never fails. Happy Thanksgiving.